Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet an hour is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or, Why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. 
I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. I, I have a, this is confession time. I have a confession. Um, I am mesmerized by infomercials. Okay, there's one other person that understands what I'm talking about. Uh, I just love watching these things because it's amazing to me, these, these products that solve problems that I didn't even know I had. At least that's the way it's supposed to work, right? But we all know that it's kind of ends in massive disappointment one time after another. If you've had any experience in this, you know what I'm talking about. But every once in a while, every once in a while, you find something that's truly great. And so I got to tell you, I was over with my wife. We were having dinner at a friend's house, and I washed my hands, and I went to grab the towel, okay? And it was almost like I could feel and see the drops of water jumping off of my hands and onto the towel. It's amazing. I've never experienced anything like it. And, and I kind of, you know, the more I dried my hands off, then I, ca I came away from that. And I, I guess I must have just been sort of. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Tammy sees this because she knows about my infomercial situation. So she sees this and she's, Bob, what's wrong? What's going on over there? And I'm like, my hands, my hands feel so clean. They've never felt this clean. They, they feel so good right now. And so I'm just trying to figure out what is this? What, what has happened here? And I'm like, is it the water? Is it, maybe it's the towel. And of course I'm saying this out loud. And all of a sudden our friend says, it is the towel. <laughs> and of course, right away, I'm like, tell me everything. And she said, well, these towels are made by home and they are amazing and they're going to change your life. And so, of course, I'm all in at that point. I'm like, okay, well, sign me up. Tammy is busy saying like, Bob, it's just a towel. It's just a towel. Back away from the towel. Step away from the towel. Remember the ShamWow. <laughs> I bought that too. Uh, but I was mesmerized by how wonderful this towel was. And I just kept telling Tammy the whole time, the whole night, you know, like you check out that towel. You, you should wash your hands. Go wash your hands. Just go wash them again and try this out. And finally, you know what? Guess what? She touched the towel and she was impressed. She was impressed. All of a sudden it went from Bob's nuts to, so tell me more about these towels. So before the night was over, she had the brochures out. We had the order forms filled out and a brand new level of cleanliness was on the horizon for the Bryce household. Okay, but, but Tammy didn't stop there. You know, I was just kind of satisfied with, well, I, the towels are awesome. Thank you very much. But Tammy, if you know anything about my wife and as you get to, to know her more, you'll realize that if she knows of something that she thinks will benefit you, she will go out of her way to tell you about it. She will tell everybody about it. And I mean everybody. 
So we all have this kind of experience in one way or another. We all have, whether or not we have told a lot of people or just a few people, the reality is when we find something, whether it's a product or a service or an experience or something, when we have something that we believe in, we share it with other people. When we believe in something, we, we want to tell other people about it. We want to share it with others. And so what is that for you? What, what have you been in the habit of, of sharing? Or, or what have you felt so compelled to share that others just need to know this? Of course, you know where we're going here. What happens when it comes to sharing our faith? What happens when it's time for us to tell other people about Jesus? Are we, are we more compelled to share about shamwows than we are about our Savior? Because all of us share something. So in your life, what, what are you sharing? What are you more likely to share than Jesus? Let's ask it that way. But when it comes to sharing our faith, it comes to sharing our stories, we, we clam up quick. It usually gets real quiet real quick. Why is that? Well, maybe it's fear. Maybe it's, well, I don't feel like I'm adequate or I don't feel like I'm experienced enough or I don't have the right qualifications. And so maybe fear keeps our mouth shut. Or, or maybe we say, well, you know, if I told somebody else about this, they're not going to believe me anyway. I mean, they, they just don't. It's not going to change anything. Nothing's going to be different. And so maybe it's our doubt that keeps our mouth shut. Or maybe we've not actually received and believed in who Jesus truly is and what he's come to do for us, to set us free. Maybe, maybe we just know about Jesus, but we don't yet know Jesus. And so we might be tempted to think, well, I don't really have a story to tell anyway. I'm telling you, God uses wherever we are, whatever journey we're on, whatever point we are at, he uses our experiences and our stories as a means to reach out to other people. The truth is that your story can lead others to meet Jesus. Your story can lead others to meet Jesus. And I've recently become aware of a new technique, which is something like this. <laughs> if that helps, I, I practice this. Is it like this? Like that. You can even do that if it helps. But when it comes to your story, are you willing to share it? Are you willing to share your story with others? Because the effectiveness doesn't depend on the quality of our story. It doesn't depend on the complexity or the simplicity of our story. It depends on the goodness and faithfulness of God who uses those stories to draw other people to him. Even when we have questions, even when we have doubts, even when we're just, you know, not quite sure. When we tell our stories, God can use those stories as a means to draw other people to himself and even draw us into closer relationship with him over and over and over again. And so as we continue to look at this story, we often call this story the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman who encounters Jesus, meets Jesus at this well, Jacob's well in Samaria. Uh, we've been surprised by several things along the way. But today I want to focus in and have us pay specific attention to how her story, this woman's story, as, as we see it unfolding in scripture, how this story then becomes the vehicle that God uses to draw more people 
to himself, more people into relationship with his son, Jesus. But before we dive in, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you that our work in mission with you doesn't depend on how great we are, but only depends on how great you are, God. We ask now that that your Holy Spirit come and live and dwell amongst us in these moments that we have together, that, that these not be my words, but instead that they become your word. Because, Lord, your word is the only thing that transforms us. It's the only thing that puts the old to death and raises the new to life. And so that's what we ask of you, is just fulfill those promises in us, in our hearts, in these moments that we have together as we turn to you and we learn from you. And we tune our ears to the word that you speak to us. Lord, meet us here today, right now, in this place. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week, we're in John chapter 4. So if you brought a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 4. If you have it on your electronic device, we'll also have it up on the screens as well. But we started looking at John chapter 4. And then last week, we looked at the verses 1 to 26 which were all about this encounter that the Samaritan woman has with Jesus. And then now it's, this is a continuation of that. And so we're looking at verses uh, 27 to 42. So from 27 to 42, now we see kind of the rest of the story. We see how, how this is all working together to lead up to a conclusion that we don't want to miss because we can definitely learn something from this. But so far, if you remember from last week, and I'll give you a little bit of a recap in case you weren't here, but it's already surprising that this woman ever even met Jesus at this well. Because if you remember, Samaritans and the Jewish people hated each other. That's not an overstatement. They hated each other. Matter of fact, they would not even want to set foot in one another's territories. And so when uh, Jesus and his disciples were leaving from where they were in Judea. Remember, we left them when they were out baptizing across the Jordan River from from John and his disciples. Jesus needs to go to Galilee. And it says, the text says, he had to go through Samaria. We talked about last week, well, that's not really quite true because he could have gone around like all the other Jewish people would likely have done to avoid ever setting foot in Samaria. They would go the long way around, across the river, danger, the whole bit just to avoid it. So when the text said he had to go to Samaria, it wasn't that he had to go there because there was no other way to get there. He had to go there because he had a meeting. He had an appointment that he had to get to. And it was with this most unexpected woman, this Samaritan woman who he meets at the well in the middle of the day. So it's surprising that he's in Samaria to begin with. Then it's more surprising that we've got a Jewish person talking to a Samaritan person, but then to find out that that person he's talking to is a woman who he's talking to alone, well, Mr. Boundary Breaker himself just shatters all of these humanly constructed barriers and boundaries that we keep erecting, trying to separate people from each other. Jesus is not thrown off by that. He goes directly through that and to her to meet her to see her. This is all very unexpected. It's all very unexpected. It's unexpected for us to read it. It's also unexpected for the disciples who were experiencing this. But Jesus did not come to meet our expectations. He came to meet us. He did not come to meet our expectations. He came to meet us. No matter how many expectations we try to layer on Jesus, 
And no matter how many ways we try to define who he is, he will not be defined by our definitions. He will not be put in whatever corner we're trying to paint him into. He simply transcends boundaries. And last week, with this woman at the well, he transcended racial, cultural, traditional, social, gender, religious, and maybe even moral boundaries. He was not, he was not thrown off or scared away by any of the reasons the world says, well, you, you, these two things can't possibly go together. And he does all this so that he's able to meet this woman right where she's at. He enters her story and meets her in the midst of her circumstances. And that's the point for her when everything starts to change. Meeting Jesus in this particular encounter changes her life. What about you? What about when you come to meet Jesus? Well, again, this is all very unexpected, the way that this is all unfolding. And so Jesus if you remember from last week, had sent the disciples to go get food in town. So they were away, he was by himself, and then he starts having this conversation with the woman, which is still going on, and it's an intense, not only is just any conversation, but they're talking about like deep theological things, which is also really surprising. It's unexpected. And so when the disciples come back on the scene in verse 27, they are startled by what they come upon here. John 4, verse 27, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? And so we don't know, the text doesn't tell us why they didn't voice their concerns out loud, why they didn't say something about this, but they certainly had these concerns. They certainly had these questions. It was, it was very unexpected to find Jesus in this particular case. But again, no matter how the world had labeled her, no matter what it had defined her as or to be, Jesus sees beyond just her circumstances, though he does see her circumstances, he also sees beyond and sees her to be more than just a summary of her circumstances. He sees her as someone who God loved enough to send his one and only son to save her. That's good news for you and I. No matter what you're facing, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you look like, Jesus is coming directly to you to meet with you. He does this over and over again. And he's meeting us right here, right now. And we've seen people meet Jesus all along our study so far through John. We've been, this is, we're in the fourth chapter now, and we've seen these encounters with Jesus over and over again. And have you noticed that Jesus continues to meet people where they are? He, he enters their world, their circumstances. He comes to find them where they are, and then he starts from that point. He does that for you and I as well. He meets us where we're at, but not everybody responds the same way. And John helps us understand that this is true from, from the very beginning. From chapter 1, if you remember uh, chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, uh, John says, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, 
To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So to all who received him, he gave the right to be children of God, meaning that some rejected him. Or don't forget about John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever, whoever. That means we do have a choice in how we respond to this good news about Jesus, how we respond to the truth about who he is and how we respond to him when we meet him. How will we respond? Because already we've seen that some people meet him and follow him. Some people meet him and are confused by him and don't understand what he's talking about and leave their meeting somewhat dismayed, wondering, what in the world is that guy talking about? And then some people just flat out reject him. They say, whatever he is, I don't want. And those would be more like the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders that we've read about, where as soon as Jesus starts getting popular, people start going to him, the religious leaders, they got to get involved to try to shut it down. So they reject him because they're threatened by him. And so there's lots of different ways that people react to Jesus. But what about this woman? What will this woman's response to Jesus be? We started to see it unfold last week, but what will her response to Jesus be? Especially since, well, last week he offered her living water, living water. But then Jesus disclosed to her in verse 25 something that he had not disclosed to anyone this directly up to this point. She was the first. She says in verse 25, I know the Messiah is coming. And he says right after that in verse 26, look no further. I am. Which Jesus is the Messiah. He's telling her, I've come to you as God who has taken on flesh. I am the Messiah. And how will she respond? How will she respond? Well, take a look at verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now, folks, this is the power of the gospel in action. We're, we're often too quick uh, to just sort of pass by this. But think about this. This woman, remember we talked about this last week, for her to be at this well in the middle of the day, the brightest part of the day, that's not when people went to gather water. They gathered water in the morning and in the evening, out of the heat of the day, and they did it in groups. This woman's by herself in the middle of the hottest and brightest part of the day, all by herself so she could avoid other people. She didn't want to be with the other people in the town. She was avoiding the other people for whatever reason. But then when she has an encounter with Jesus, she meets Jesus and Jesus changes her life, then what happens? She goes back into the very same town full of the people that she was trying to avoid as she shares this good news about Jesus with those same people. Folks, that doesn't happen because we have a new attitude. That happens when we have a new life. That happens when Jesus actually gets a hold of us in a way like only he can. It changes everything about who we know ourselves to be and who and how we think of him. It changes everything. And that's what's happened for this woman. She's compelled to share her story 
with others about Jesus. She met him, and then she shares that story, which is something that we continue to see over and over and over and over and over again. Jesus brings together what the world keeps apart. We could say it this way. In Jesus, the gospel unites what the world divides. The gospel unites what the world divides. And I don't care how many emails I get telling me to the contrary. This is the truth. And if you have a problem with it, then take it up with Jesus. He came to do what the world cannot do for itself. You and I can't fix this problem. Our views are distorted. But the only one who sees it clearly is Jesus. And he comes and he gives us his life so that we can follow him. In other words, he, he moves us just like this woman from outcast to broadcast. From outcast to broadcast. In other words, she cannot stop telling other people about what has happened to her. Not for her benefit, but for their benefit. So that they might have an encounter or a meeting with Jesus who has changed everything for her. And so the last person that you would expect Jesus to even be talking to, the very last person you'd expect him to encounter, much less have a conversation with, is the very first person who starts going out and evangelizing on a big level. She goes out and tells these townspeople the good news. And she says it in a very interesting way. Come and see. Come and see. Now, where have we heard that before? All the way back in John chapter 1, when Jesus called his first disciples, he said, come and see. Then when those disciples, after meeting Jesus and encountering Jesus, when they became followers of Jesus, they went and told other people. And what did they say? Come and see. Come and see. And so now we have this woman using exactly the same language. Only, all right, think about this. Now, when Jesus called the disciples... He was Jewish, Jew Jesus was Jewish. All of these disciples that he was calling at that particular point, they are all Jewish. And the disciples themselves who are Jewish then turned around and called other people that they were either related to or that they knew they were also Jewish. But now we have this woman who has taken this message from the hated Jewish people and takes it back to the town and starts spreading the good news. You've got to come see for yourself this man? Could, could this be the Messiah? She's so eager, in fact, to spread this good news. I don't know if you caught this, but did you notice that she left something behind? When she went into town, she left her water jar at the well. Now, I don't want to read too much into that because there's a lot, there are a lot of people with a lot of different opinions about how much we should read into that, but I would offer you this. What if at a bare minimum, we said, when Jesus meets us, when Jesus calls us into new life, that means we have to leave some things behind. In order to fully follow Jesus, we've got to leave the old behind. And Jesus specializes in exactly this, because again, he doesn't just come and tell us, well, shape up and get a new attitude. He actually comes to kill off what's killing us, to raise us to new life 
in him. He was sacrificed for our sins, our shortcomings. All of us fall short of God's glory. And Jesus came and he was crucified, died, buried, rose again, so that in his new life, he could offer us the very same new life. He offers what only belongs to him, and he turns around and gives it to us, not because we have earned it or deserve it, but because of his grace. And so this idea of what God's grace truly means has been something that has been revealed all throughout scripture, all throughout history, maybe not in the same way, but all of this was pointing to this person, this Messiah, this Jesus, God in the flesh, the word became flesh. That's what it was all pointing to. And so for her to be involved in this and for her to be now sharing the good news about this Jesus, all of that's very unexpected. We're supposed to understand that as, wow, the power of the gospel knows no limits. It is not bound by what we let bind us. And so the, the story moves on, and the disciples, again, they're still confused trying to figure out what's going on. And so uh, they, in verse 31, look what it says. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. All right, now maybe, maybe this is one of those situations where they, they were just so confused about Jesus' behavior that it, maybe they thought it was like one of these Snickers commercials where it's like, you're really not acting like yourself. Uh, you should have Snickers or whatever it is, and, and then we got to get back to normal here because what you're doing here, I don't know about all that. Well, maybe it was that. Or maybe they were just nervous and they were like, well, we don't really know what to do, so maybe it would be a good thing to eat. I mean, after all, he sent us to get the food. Does he want something to eat? What, what are we doing here? We don't really know. But I love Jesus' response because they say, have something to eat, to which he says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. <laughs> I mean, now you've got to give some credit to the disciples, right? I mean, we're often really hard on them, but come on. I mean, they went into town, they got the food they, that he told them to go get. Then they bring it back and they see this whole encounter and they're dumbfounded and they're looking around. They got a lot of shifty eyes. And then what happens? They say, well, do, do you want some to eat? I have food that you know nothing about. <laughs> it's confusing. So we might be confused at first, but as we continue to go on, we see what, what Jesus is doing. He's, he's shifting this. In verse 34, take a look at this. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. To do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. The disciples didn't understand. They were wondering, what is he talking about? He says he has food that... Uh, nobody knows anything about. And then now he's talking about his food is coming from somewhere else. They're asking like, well, did somebody give him something to eat? Did we miss something? Did the woman give us? What, what is happening here? It's because they are focused on the physical idea of eating food, right? Just like if you remember last week when Jesus offers the woman uh, living water, she thinks at first that he's talking about, well, does he know where there's another well around here that I don't know? Do, do, is he going to go dig a well? Is that, what is, what's he trying to tell me? Because she was thinking, well, he must be talking about physical water to drink. But he was talking about spiritual water, living water, water that does what regular water simply cannot 
do. And so in this particular case, the disciples are still, they have all these questions about the food and what are we doing here and the eating. When he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, that means he's being fed in a completely different way. He's changed from talking about physical things to talking about spiritual things. And if we don't know that or understand that, then we're going to miss some of the important things he's he's trying to teach us. And, and so when we read that part, or you heard it, uh, when uh, we hear this, it can sound confusing because it sounds like it's all about the food. And, and, then, and then he starts talking about planting seeds and harvests and all this other kind of stuff. Maybe we're not agricultural people. Some of you are, I know, but others of us like me, I don't know. I go to the grocery store, there it is. So none of this stuff makes sense to me in terms of how it's planted and how it's harvested and all those kinds. But this is the metaphor that Jesus is using. I imagine him standing on the edge of where this well is and looking toward the town where the woman had gone to spread the good news about come and see this Jesus for yourself. Come and see, could he be the Messiah? She's in there testifying about who Jesus is. And I imagine Jesus standing there looking off into the distance and waiting to see who's going to respond, who's going to show up, who's going to come to meet him. That's what I think he's trying to get the disciples to understand. I look at his question more like, how can you think about food at a time like this? This is the most exciting thing. When Jesus said, when he first called his disciples, you will see greater things than these. This is one of these greater things. The miracle that people hear the good news and then respond and come to meet Jesus for themselves. And so this food that he's talking about, to do the will of him who sent me, means that he's getting ready, he's excited, he's focused on that. And I think we can all relate to this. When we find ourselves doing something important or that we think is important, uh, we can focus so much on something that we then forget to take care of our basic needs, right? Maybe, maybe you get so caught up in your work, or maybe you get so caught up in a, in a project that you're doing at home, or, or, or maybe it's a Netflix series, or maybe it's uh, video games. Uh, we currently have two teenage boys. Maybe it's video games, but you can get so focused on whatever it is that people have to remind you, hey, uh, you actually need to eat, or you need to sleep, or you need to, to have some water, well, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this, this guy named uh, George Friedrich Handel. He's a famous composer. He composed this now most famous piece of music called Messiah. Okay, you, you've undoubtedly, in one way or another, you've heard a portion of this. The Hallelujah Chorus, something you, from this you've heard. But did you know that this guy wrote this entire thing in 24 days? 24 days, 259 pages of handwritten music. I can barely conceive of such a thing. But he was so focused during those 24 days that people would have to regularly remind him, George, uh, got to eat, got to go to sleep. Uh, you've been working on this a long time. But he was so focused on that that if somebody would have come to him and said, George, you need to, to eat something. Can you see him saying, hey, how can you even think about eating at a time like this? 
That's the way I think we should understand Jesus. He's waiting to meet the people that he knows are coming out to meet him. And so this food that he refers to means that hearing and obeying the word of the Lord satisfies the spiritual hunger in your soul. Hearing and obeying the word of the Lord satisfies the spiritual hunger in your soul. As a matter of fact, it's the only thing that does. And so maybe Jesus, when he's telling the disciples this, maybe he has in his mind a reference back to Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. At the end of that verse, it's Moses. He's talking to the people, and Moses says, man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, which is the same scripture that Jesus then quotes when he's tempted by the devil in the other gospels. And so maybe Jesus is helping us understand that it's not just about our physical needs. It's also about our spiritual needs. And so this, this food that he's talking about is spiritual food. My food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. But there's no time for a big meal here. Again, if Jesus is standing out on the edge and he's seeing the people, because remember in verse 30, we, we heard that the, the townspeople not only heard the woman's testimony, but then they started coming out from the town. And so this is all happening at the same time. The, the, the disciples are asking questions. The disciples are confused. Jesus is trying to teach them something. And this is all happening at the same time. The people are coming from the town and out. So in other words, the harvest is here. That's what he's talking about. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. It's happening now. Do you hear that urgency? And Jesus goes on to say, even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So in other words, he's telling the disciples, guess what? Whether you know it or not, because I called you and because you are my followers, you are involved in this mission. Talk about on-the-job training. This is happening in real time. The disciples are getting a first-hand look to not only see, but to participate in this harvest. And Jesus is saying, this is a harvest that you didn't even work for. Now, what does he mean by that? What does he mean that the harvest is here and, and they are going to reap the benefits without doing the work? Well, if we go back and we think about what does it mean to share our story, not about how great we are, but when we share our story of who Jesus is, and God works through that story to draw people to himself, well, then that's the same kind of thing we've got going here. The people are being drawn to Jesus, not by their goodness or their impressive nature of their story, but by the power of who God is, who is at work, and it's coming now. The harvest is here. Sometimes when we sow the seed of the good news, the harvest happens right away. And we're always thankful for that. But a lot of times we sow the seeds of the good news of Jesus and we don't even ever see the harvest. Maybe we share our story and somebody says, you know what? Not for me. Don't ever talk to me about this again. Our mission 
that Jesus has put us on is not to force anybody to believe anything. But we are called to scatter the seeds of what we believe in the hopes that God reaches out and rescues them too. So don't be discouraged. Matter of fact, we should not be surprised when we share our story and it is rejected. That usually means we're doing something right because the world does not understand Jesus, doesn't want Jesus. He came to that which was his own and his own rejected him. And so we should expect to be rejected, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't continue to share our story. Look what happens here. In verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Again, it's not about the power of this woman. Remember, she is the most unlikely, unexpected person to be involved in this anyway. But it's a demonstration of the power of the gospel itself because she goes and shares her testimony and other people believe. She says, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Do you see how she scattered the seeds of the good news of of her story and what had happened to her? She shared her experience. And just like that, your story can also lead others to meet Jesus. Your story can lead others to meet Jesus. But are you willing to tell it? Are you willing to tell it? That's always the biggest obstacle we face is we don't want to tell our story. Why is that? Are we embarrassed? Are we thinking that we're unqualified? Are we thinking, well, we'll be made a fool of? What keeps us? Whatever it is, or maybe we're distracted, or maybe we've got our hope in the wrong things. What is it? What what stops us from being willing to tell this good news about Jesus to other people? I don't know what your story is, but I bet that a lot of it goes something like this. I was lost and I was at the end of my rope and I had all these circumstances that were failing all around me, challenges I didn't even imagine I could ever face. I thought I had lost my whole life and in the midst of my despair, when I had given up all hope, Jesus met me. Jesus met me right where I was at, right where I was in these unbelievable challenges, right in the midst of my struggles, and he gave me hope. How did he do it? He gave me living water. He gave me living water. He gave me food that meant he called me to be his messenger, to do the will of the one who sent him. Now he sends you and I. He sends you and I out to do exactly the same thing, to scatter the seed. We can't control what happens with the seed after that. Be released from that. That's not your job. But you are called in to being on mission with, just like this woman, with spreading the good news of who Jesus is. And when that happens, look at Verse 42 is where this has all been building up. It's all here. Verse 42. The people, this is the the townspeople. 
they said to the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. In Jesus, we find life. In Jesus, we find life. And so we don't know why God chose to use imperfect people just like you and me. But he did. And he invites us into this mission, not alone, not so that we can look good, but so that we can help draw others to him, so that they can have their own experience. What must it say about us if we're not even willing to invite someone to have their own experience? Don't take my word for it. This is what she's saying. Come and meet this man for yourself. We can do this in all different kinds of ways, can't we? We can, we can invite someone not just to come and see, but what would it be like if as a community we said, the invitation is come and see with me. Come and see with me. I want to go with you. I want to go with you. I want to experience and to meet Jesus with you. We could pray together. We could study God's word together. You can ask me any question you want. If I don't know the answer, we'll find somebody else that does. We could meet together in small groups and we could share life together and share our stories and talk about God's faithfulness and encourage one another to live and face another day in a world that seems to be drastically falling apart. The hope we have is in Christ alone, yet are we willing to share that hope with others? And so these are the questions I have for you today. I want, want you to take the time to, to ask God to search your heart and to wrestle through this. What are you compelled to tell others about more than the good news of Jesus? What are you compelled to tell other people about more? Is it uh, wows? Because guess what? I'm putting, I am certainly not standing here telling you to do something that I don't also struggle with as well. This is all of us. We're all in this together. We all can reveal what our true priorities are by just simply saying, what are we spending our time doing? And so what are you compelled to share more than the good news? That's question one. Second one is, what holds you back from sharing your story? Why are you hesitant or unwilling, maybe, to share your story with other people? Because I promise you, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is not optional. This is not a, you know, when you get around to it or, you know, if you can squeeze it in. Or if the opportunity just presents itself in the absolute perfect way. Or sharing your story only with other Christians, other people who are already believers. You know, maybe that's a real thing for you. Maybe it's like, well, everybody I know is a follower. So guess what? I promise if I visited your neighborhood, if I went to your neighborhood, I would find people that do not have a relationship with Jesus. What would it be like if you just met those people, maybe invited them to your house for a meal and just talked with them? Not to beat them over the head with anything, but to just express the love of God who is Jesus by inviting and serving and spending time with one another. And then the last question is, if, if the seed of the good news of Jesus Christ has, 
actually been planted in your heart today, right now in these moments? Well, first of all, we thank God for that. But second of all, you're not meant to do this on your own. God calls us together in community with one another so that we can come alongside one another and walk this journey of faith together. And so if you want to know more or you want somebody to pray with you or you have questions, our care station is right over here. Pastor Steve is over here. Go after the service and talk and, and ask for prayer. And, and maybe today is, is the first day of this new story that God is inviting you into. Speaking of inviting, last week I asked you to, to seriously pray and ask God to reveal to you somebody that you should consider inviting to church on Easter. Because the reality is we have a lot of pent up, uh, I don't know, let's call it resistance to sharing our story. And so sometimes maybe the first step in, well, I'm not ready to share my story with other people yet, but I would be willing to invite someone else to let somebody else do it. I will be that person, okay? Come and bring, not just send somebody to come to church, but offer, come and see with me. Offer to go with somebody. Bring somebody with you that you know needs, needs to hear the good news of Jesus. And we will do this together as a community because that's the way this should be done. Our, our stories are not in and of themselves anything special or fancy. But when God gets involved, nothing can be ordinary anymore. So tell your story about who this Jesus is. And God will use that to lead other people to meet Jesus for themselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness, your graciousness, your mercy. We know, Lord, that, that the work of sowing and harvesting ultimately is your work. But we thank you so much that you invite us into participating with you so that the sower and the reaper may be happy together. We thank you for restoring what was lost before. Lord, for inviting us into this new life with you that is not bound by the barriers that the world keeps constructing. Lord, we, we thank you that in you we are finally set free. And so, Lord, we thank you for meeting us here today and right now in this place. We ask that you continue to do your work, that your will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you and we praise you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.